seated, good singing, encouraging. Wouldn't know we were about a dozen people short. Well, please turn with me to the passage we read, with me to Luke 16. This account of the rich man and Lazarus. One big question, uh, is it history or is it a parable? Uh, a lot of debate uh, over that. One interesting fact is in no other parable are any proper names given. It's usually this man or a man, uh, a king. Uh, here, of course, we're given the name of Lazarus. We're not given the name of the rich man, but uh, Lazarus is uh, named. Uh, be sure it's not the same one as in uh, John 10. The man was raised from the dead. Uh, there's clearly no connection there. It was a fairly common name. We're also introduced to Abraham uh, in this. On the other hand, if you take it as history, uh, it raises some problems, doesn't it? Some of the conversation uh, between, for example, the rich man in hell and uh, Abraham uh, in, in heaven is perhaps a little difficult to take that uh, literally. So then we just have to say we can't be sure uh, in that. Uh, but anyway, it is a valuable portion of Scripture. Ancient commentators often took an allegorical approach. Uh, some took the rich man as a picture of the self-righteous Jews, and Lazarus as a picture of the Gentiles. Others saw the rich man as a Herod, and Lazarus as John the Baptist. And still another view took the rich man as the Jewish nation, and Lazarus as the Lord Jesus. And uh, his sores were the sins that he bore. But it seems to me there's no ground for fanciful ideas. The interpretation is pretty clear, isn't it, uh, as we uh, read this. And the lessons are powerful, surely. First thing to note is the context. I could have read a, from the beginning of the chapter, it's quite a long uh, section, but uh, verses 10 to 14 gives us something of the context. It follows the parable of the dishonest manager. And the lesson from that seems to be that we are to use our possessions in this life with a view to improving our eternal state. It's uh, somewhat of a difficult parable in some ways, but uh, uh, that was the, uh, the parable given. And then in verse 10 we read, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. He's talking about material things. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not trust to you the true riches, if you've not been faithful in that which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. Uh, so there's the, the, the context, uh, the parable Jesus gives, how to handle our uh, material uh, possessions, and the Pharisees who were covetous. And uh, this seems to be dealing uh, with that. So there's the, the, the context. 
Note, secondly, the variety of circumstances in which people find themselves. You could hardly get a greater contrast than these two men, uh, could you? The rich man, verse 19, <coughs> had all he, he wanted, <coughs> clothed in purple and fine linen. <coughs> you probably know that purple was dyed uh, by a very expensive dye, purple, that was obtained from kind of seashell, uh, sea snail, and uh, you, you crushed it and extracted a tiny bit of uh, purple dye uh, from it. So if you could afford uh, cloth that was dyed with purple, you were pretty wealthy. It's interesting that in Queen Elizabeth's reign, first Queen Elizabeth, uh, Tudor queen, uh, it, it was forbidden for anyone to wear purple. Uh, it was reserved only for royalty. Uh, but certainly it was a mark of wealth or uh, royalty. So this man was clothed in purple and fine linen. He was rich uh, indeed. Feasted sumptuously every day. I guess we get sumptuous feasts once in a while, don't we? Feasts, uh, Christmas, or maybe a special birthday uh, party or celebration. Uh, but this man fed like that every single day. His table was just loaded with every imaginable uh, food. I don't suppose he was a very slim uh, individual. Uh, doubtless he lived in a, a, a nice house, a large uh, house, uh, lots of servants. So uh, he was wealthy uh, indeed. All he could wish. He lived in dazzling splendor. But what a contrast with Lazarus, this beggar, verse 20. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, desiring to be fed from what fell from the rich man's table. He was poor. He was hungry. He was sick. Uh, uncared for for anyone except the dogs. Laid at the gate of the rich man, probably crippled. Uh, the gate was the entrance to the courtyard. You mustn't imagine a, a long drive sort of with a gate at the far end and leading up, to, leading up to the house, as you might get today. Uh, these will be the gates of the courtyard. Every house of any size uh, had an open courtyard, which during the day will be open for people to come in and out, uh, and even quite often to access to the house, because the poor were usually allowed to come in and partake of any leftovers from uh, a sumptuous uh, feast. So the rich man would be well aware of Lazarus. He would see him every time he went into the, uh, the house. So he knew uh, that he was there. He knew his condition. Now why are we given such a contrast? Why such a tremendous difference between these two uh, men? Had the rich man uh, earned his wealth or inherited it? No, clearly we are not told. Did Lazarus deserve such misery again? We don't know. There is in the physical state of people an element of the sovereignty of God, a large element of the sovereignty of God. Some are born to health and every material comfort. Others are born to sickness and poverty. And we can't say it's not fair you often hear people ask, you, why are some people born deformed? Uh, why are they born in, in great poverty? 
You know, that's not the right question. The question we should be asking is, why are we so blessed? Why is it we have such good health? Why do we have a good measure of material comfort? Because we do not deserve that. You need to realize it's by grace we do not deserve the least of God's mercies, whether they're spiritual or uh, material. So we mustn't envy those with much, nor must we despise those with little or nothing. Well, my third point, whatever variation in this life of people, there is a leveling in death. The beggar, Lazarus, died. The rich man also died. And they laid still. I'm sure the way they were draped there would be very different, but you looked at two people, both uh, devoid of any life. Now, to be sure, uh, there'd be a difference in funerals. I imagine the beggar was probably just put in a pauper's grave. Uh, the rich man would have an elaborate funeral. They would have professional mourners, as they still do today. When I was in Singapore, you would uh, hear funerals there, and they would, people would hire a group of professional mourners, people to weep and to wail. Uh, that still goes on uh, today. You can be sure the rich man's family would do that uh, for him. I'm sure he would have a nice uh, monument uh, there for his grave with the right inscriptions on it, whereas the poor man would have probably nothing to mark his grave at all. Uh, but both were equally dead. Neither riches, education, or fame can stop us dying, can it? Nothing can prevent that. We may live many years, but we're going to die. We need to recognize uh, that. And also we can take nothing with us. Lazarus had nothing to take with him other than his rags. Uh, the rich man could take none of his wealth with him. Uh, Paul says, uh, we, we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. First Timothy 6, 7. Death is certain for both the rich and the poor. And it's strange that death is the one event we can be certain of, and yet uh, it's, it seems there are so few prepare for it. Oh yes, people may prepare their graves by a, a, a grave from a funeral director in certain uh, cemetery, but they don't really prepare for death, do they? Uh, do we prepare for death? Do we recognize we're not going to live forever. You young ones, boys and girls, you may say, well, I won't be dying for years. Uh, you don't know that. None of us knows the day of our death. We need to be prepared for that day whenever it uh, might come. Clearly the rich man didn't prepare. Uh, we better learn a lesson from that and make sure we prepare for that day when our lives will be taken from this earth. Well, the fourth point, the all are equal in death. All are not equal beyond death. Condition of those two men, vastly different in this life, uh, but vastly different in the next life. Also, uh, as different as it is possible to be. We read that Lazarus was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Abraham, of course, considered the father of the 
Jewish nation. Uh, so for every faithful Jew to be with Abraham was all he could wish for. But Lazarus was carried to Abraham's side. His suffering is now ended. No more poverty, no more sickness, no more hunger. He's comforted. Before his only companions were the dogs, licked his sores. Now he's in the presence of all the redeemed. All those who've died and the redeemed, he's with them. He's with the angels. And of course, best of all, he's in the, in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's not spelled out in the parable, but that's a reality, isn't it? When we die, we are in the presence uh, of the redeemed and especially of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, that's how uh, Lazarus was found in the next life. By contrast, the rich man was in hell, experiencing torment, agony, thirst, unbearable suffering. So what a contrast of these two men in the next life. Well, my fifth point, and really the other points will be subheadings of this one, what does the parable teach us about life after death? Uh, there are some, of course, who would say there is no life after death. When I die, I'll be six feet under. That's the end of it. Uh, but we see very clearly here that death is not the end. Now, when you look at someone who's died, a corpse, we've all seen corpses, probably many of the children too, uh, it looks like the end, doesn't it? There's, there's no life. You can talk to them, that they won't reply. Uh, you can feel them, they're cold. Uh, you can pinch them and there's no response there. Uh, it looks like death. It looks like the end. Uh, but it's just the end of life in this world. And many would like to think that death is the end because that would mean they can live as they want and doesn't uh, their lifestyle in this world will not affect them beyond death. Uh, but this parable is very clear and many other passages too I think our own conscience is uh, that there is life after death. I think we know that. Many would like to feel that death is the end, uh, but no, uh, we know uh, it is not. And many who have scoffed at religion in this life have been terrified as death comes near. Think of Voltaire, the notable uh, atheist there, who cried out as he got near death, More light! More light. Well, if he'd read his Bible, he would have got all the light that he uh, needed, and doubtless many others have uh, felt terror as death approached. And they will find that time is but a moment compared to eternity. So there is life after death. And then, secondly, there is consciousness. After death, both men clearly were conscious. Lazarus carried to Abraham's side, uh, and clearly there was life going on. There was consciousness there, and uh, the rich man wanted Lazarus to be sent uh, to him. So obviously Lazarus was conscious, and certainly the rich man was conscious. Uh, he's in conversation with Abraham, and once Lazarus uh, sent uh, to him. So there is consciousness after death. 
Uh, we see that in other passages in, in Revelation 6, 9 and 10, you see there the, uh, that many of the martyrs in heaven, uh, they're dead, life is still going on on earth. They're asking, how long till our blood will be avenged? And uh, the reply is, well, until others have experienced the same uh, sufferings uh, as you. So clearly, life was going on after death. It's what we call the intermediate state. It's the state between death and the resurrection, or if you like, between death and the judgment, until that point when we get new bodies uh, for uh, eternity. And clearly there is conscious torment for some, conscious bliss for others. We also note, thirdly, that the conditional is unchangeable. Remember, the rich man asks for Lazarus to be sent uh, to him, but it's not possible. Verse 25, Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, Lazarus in like manner bad things. Now he's comforted, you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and men may cross from there to us. So clearly that state was fixed. After death there's no change. Now, I know there's a change in the sense of the resurrection and uh, eternal life uh, there, but in, uh, in terms of the spiritual state there's no change. It is fixed at death. He that's holy, let him be holy still, we read in Revelation 22. Uh, he that's evil, let him be evil still. Uh, what we are when we die will essentially be the same into eternity. So, no change is possible. As we know, the Church of Rome believes in purgatory, uh, where uh, those people suffer uh, for the sins they've committed in this life, and that depends on how many sins, how great their sins uh, and how much money is paid to set them free, uh, but eventually they will be set free from purgatory and able to go to heaven. There's not a, a word of suggestion of such a thing in God's word, uh, of course. Fourth point under this afterlife, uh, what determined the destiny of these two men? Now, some would tell us that their physical state in this life determined their spiritual and physical state in the next. Now, clearly there was a contrast, and uh, Abraham uh, says that in verse 25, doesn't it? Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, Lazarus in like manner, bad things. Now he's comforted and you are in anguish. So some would feel because of the state in this life, there'll be a transformation uh, in the next. Uh, but clearly, uh, that is not uh, true. Our eternal state is not determined by our physical uh, or economic state here. Uh, riches do not guarantee that people will be in hell. Abraham obviously was a wealthy man. Uh, it wasn't measured in terms of bank account, but in his possessions, his huge flocks uh, he had. He was a rich man. Uh, Job was a rich man too, and even though he lost... Uh, everything. At one point, he ended up with twice as much as he had 
originally. So there are wealthy men, and there are those who, uh, these days, who are wealthy, uh, whether by inheritance or by hard work, and use their wealth uh, for the glory of God. Use it to help others. Use it to extend uh, the kingdom of God. And on the other hand, there are many poor people who are wicked and end up in hell. So uh, it's foolish to say that our physical uh, economic state in this life is going to determine what happens uh, in the next life. That clearly is not so. Now as far as the character of these two men is concerned, there's not much to go on. Uh, the rich man was not condemned for his riches, but for flaunting them. Clearly he was uncaring. Lazarus, well we're not told uh, much at all about Lazarus. Uh, his name means helped of God, perhaps he was. Nothing wrong with being poor. There's no merit in it uh, either. But the context, as we saw, is the sin of covetousness and setting affections on material things. That's what's clearly before us. Clearly the rich man was covetous. His heart was set on earthly riches. His trust was in money, not in the Lord. And you've got other examples in Jesus' ministry. You've got the uh, history of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points out the commandments. Oh, I've kept all those. And Jesus knew his real problem was covetousness. And so he says, sell all you have, give to the poor. And he went away sad. And that drew forth the statement of the Lord. It's easier uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to go into heaven. We know it's not impossible, uh, but it takes quite a bit of mincing to get a camel through the eye uh, of a needle. Uh, so uh, clearly not many rich men are uh, in heaven, but they're not ruled out. Not ruled out uh, at all. This man, I'm sure, was a good Jew. Um, he was uh, probably regular at the synagogue, dutiful in his tithe, uh, but no concern for Lazarus. And even we see his self-justification in hell. Now at first glance, when he asks for Lazarus to be sent to his brothers, you might think, well, he has a real concern uh, for his brothers. But what he's really saying is, if I had been warned, I wouldn't be in hell. Send Lazarus to warn my brothers so that they won't be in hell. He's really implying, if I'd been warned, uh, I wouldn't be uh, in hell. Abraham rightly reminds him, they have their scriptures just as you did. But that's not enough for the rich man. He wants them to see a, a, a miracle, wants them to witness something supernatural. And how often have you heard people say, if I could only see a miracle, I'd believe. How many saw Jesus' miracles and didn't believe? Multitudes, weren't they? They crucified him. Those Pharisees, chief priests, they'd seen his miracles, the evidence of what he did. They knew he performed miracles, but it didn't bring faith, did it? It uh, brought about uh, their hatred uh, for the Lord. Actually, miracles are not to bring people to faith, but they are to authenticate 
the message. That's why you see miracles in the Bible come in periods when new revelation is uh, going to be given. Uh, they authenticate the new uh, revelation. And now that we've got a complete Bible, uh, we don't need miracles. I know that there are times in new areas where the gospel hasn't been, when God sometimes does wonderful things. No question about that, especially in the case of Muslims. It seems that the Lord works among Muslims in amazing uh, ways, but essentially we don't need uh, miracles now that the scriptures are complete. So the rich man was in hell because his heart was set on earthly things, not on heavenly things. Whether we're rich and our hearts are set upon our possessions, or whether we're poor and we covet uh, possessions. Uh, both situations will land us in hell unless we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no explanation as to why Lazarus was in heaven. It certainly wasn't because of his poverty, nor was it, as our brothers already said, it wasn't because of his good works. Uh, we don't have to read far in the New Testament to find the only way a person could be in heaven is by God's grace, uh, being led to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's not spelled out with uh, Lazarus. We don't know whether he had any contact with Jesus, uh, but we know the only reason anyone goes to heaven is because of grace leading to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I asked this morning, what is your station in life? What is mine? Think of material. Uh, we're not famous. I don't think there's anyone here that's really famous. I don't think there's anyone here that's really wealthy. But we're comfortable, aren't we? The Lord has blessed us. We are comfortably off. Certainly not like Lazarus. But what will our state be in the next life? We've seen there is a next life. Uh, all of us will either be in hell or in heaven. And we don't particularly enjoy preaching on such things, but Jesus often pointed out, spoke more of hell than did it of heaven. It's a biblical reality, the doctrine of hell. We'll either be in hell or heaven. And we surely need to search our hearts. Where will we be? And even you boys and girls, you, you cannot say, well, I've got loads of time to turn to the Lord. You don't know that. You need to be ready today to face death and what lies beyond. There's no need for anyone to be in hell. Best known verse in the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That means should not go to hell but have eternal life. There's no need for anyone to be in hell. May God grant we'll have our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with that confidence of heaven. And may the Lord help us to be content with our possessions, to lay up our treasures in heaven, not upon earth, and to walk with Jesus in this life so that we will dwell with him forever in the next life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is a solemn passage of Scripture. 
brings out the truth of hell as clearly as it does that of heaven. And yet, Father, we know that these references to hell are only to turn us away from it, to grant that we would not uh, go to hell, but indeed go to heaven as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in him so that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we pray, Father, for those here uh, this morning, those who may be listening online, if there are those who are unconverted, do not know their future, oh, Father, that you would use this to challenge them, to convict them, to bring them to true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have that assurance of being with the Lord forever. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.